Turn in your Bible to Psalm 100, and we're going to reflect for a few minutes on one of the Psalms and talk about worship today. And before I read the passage of Scripture, I will lead us in prayer. But there are Bibles around you if you don't have a Bible. And, and by the way, if you come to our church very often, we always want to study the Bible together during the worship service. And we have Bibles available at the welcome desk. If you don't own a Bible, there would be nothing that we would love to do more for you today than to bless you with a free Bible. So please stop by the welcome desk after the service is over and pick one up. But I do want to lead us in our time of prayer before we read the scriptures. And one of the people for whom I'd like to pray today, actually two specifically, I'd like you to be sure to pray for them during the week as well, two, two people in particular. Uh, one is a little boy named Nathan, Nathan Johnson. Rhonda and Keith Johnson adopted um, Nathan not long ago. And one of the reasons they adopted him is that he needs cleft palate surgery. So the cleft palate surgery is going to take place tomorrow at Arnold Palmer Hospital here in Orlando. So if you could uh, somehow remember to pray for little Nathan Johnson, uh, pray that the surgery will go well. He'll be in the hospital through about Wednesday. And the other person for whom we should pray is Jeff Napier. I don't know if Jeff and Jennifer are here. Yes, they are. Jeff has been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, Pretty serious, very serious actually. But the good news is it appears that after multiple testing has been done on Jeff's tumor, it appears to be very localized, right? Am I saying that right? And the doctor's word for it was he wasn't very impressed with that tumor. That's a good thing. He wasn't very impressed with it. It didn't have a lot of connections. It didn't appear to be spreading. Uh, or even able to be spreading. So we want to pray that that be the, the case. Um, Jeff, you're going to be doing chemotherapy. So we want to pray for you in that regard and pray that it will be totally effective and zap the smithereens out of that tumor that he has. So if you would pray about those two particularly uh, this week, that would be awesome. But let me lead us in prayer and then we'll study God's word. Father, uh, we come to you this morning so very thankful that your love endures forever, that it is uh, from everlasting to everlasting, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that there is no uh, enemy, no sin, no problem, no obstacle that is greater than you because you are the greater one. Uh, We praise you that you are a God who is utterly and completely sovereign over the affairs of life, and of death. Lord, you hold us in your hand. You know the number of hairs on our heads. And so we come confidently today to a God who is that sovereign and that great. But Lord, were we only to pray to a sovereign and great God, we wouldn't be sure that we'd be safe. We wouldn't be sure that you really cared. And so we thank you that we come also to an utterly and thoroughly gracious God, a God who has taken our sins as far away as east is from west, a God who has suffered in our stead, who has been tempted in every way like we, yet without sin, a God who took upon yourself our guilt and shame and emerged victorious from the grave, never to be held fast by death or sin again. And we thank you that yours is the victory and yours is the power that one day you are returning to 
erect uh, the new heavens and the new earth and to introduce your people into your very presence. Until then, Lord, we thank you that you are sufficient for every need. And so we pray that you'll be sufficient for the needs of Jeff and Jennifer Napier and their children. Father, we ask you for healing in Jeff's body and ask you boldly to just let the cancer come to nothing. And we pray also for Nathan Johnson as he goes under the knife tomorrow, Lord. We pray that you'll guide the fingers and hands of the surgeon. We praise you for that wonderful gift of medical knowledge that you've given to many in our world and pray that it will be uh, completely um, effective for Nathan tomorrow and pray that his healing will be good and, and uh, complete and that he will be able to speak and swallow and do all of the things that most of us take for granted. Please uh, be the one who uh, holds Keith and Rhonda up during these next few days. And Lord, we come to open your word and seek your wisdom and your truth. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will let us hear from you today and let it be the voice of our Savior, Jesus, speaking through the word. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 100. And you're asking, why did I choose that for us today to study? And the reason is that because we are saying goodbye today to Jonathan and Amanda and their family, um, I thought about it and I thought, how do you say goodbye to the chief musician? Um, That is one of the uh, nicknames that I've had for Jonathan for a while. He's our chief musician. That's an Old Testament term. Back in the Old Testament, they had many, many musicians that the kings of Israel appointed over the worship of God Uh, Asaph, for example, was one of the chief musicians. And so we have our own chief musician, and he's been Jonathan for the past six years. How do you say goodbye to your chief musician? I thought, well, I think what you do is that you talk about one of the subjects that is most dear to the chief musician, and that's worship. And my thoughts immediately went to Psalm 100. In a space of just five verses, God gives us so much truth about worship for us to reflect on as we look back and as we think ahead into the future. What would worship look like here at UPC? What should gospel-centered worship look like? And I think Psalm 100 holds the answer for that. So let me read Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is God's word. What I think we can do from this psalm is answer three simple questions about worship. First, what it is. Secondly, how do you do it? And third, why do you worship? So a fairly simple uh, plan today. uh, What is worship? How do we do it biblically according to this psalm? And why should we do it in the first place? So first, what is worship? And I think we have Jonathan to thank for giving us consistently, almost every week, a wonderful definition of worship. He talked often from his keyboard about the fact that 
when we come into this place together, we join something that's already been taking place. Now, obviously, there is a, an aspect of worship that we mustn't forget, and that is the fact that we're always able to worship God wherever we are and whatever we're doing. All of life can be worship for the Christian. Everything you do, from cleaning your home to going to work, studying for exams, spending time with friends, going on vacation, reading a book, writing an email, uh, tending to your children, whatever you're doing can be and ought to be an act of worship for the Christian. Whatever you do, it says in the Bible, whether in thought or deed, whatever you do for the glory of God, that's worship. But what we want to concentrate on right now is the part of worship that's taking place here in this place that takes place every Sunday morning when you walk through those doors, the gathering of God's people for corporate worship. What is that? That is the joining together of God's people into the universal, never-ending chorus of praise to the God who made us and who alone is worthy of our praise. Say that again. When we come into this place, what that is, what this is that we're doing right now is the act of joining together in the universal, never-ending chorus of praise that our God is worthy of because he made us and sustains us and is God. Notice that I said first it's universal. It says that in verse 1, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. I said that it's never ending. Notice it says in the end of the psalm, his faithfulness continues through all generations. And so have that mindset every Sunday morning when you walk in here. I'm about to join in something that has always been going on. It was going on from before you and I were here. Before there was a world, there were the angels of God worshiping God. There was even before that, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, infinitely, blissfully concentrating on one another, loving one another with a perfection that you and I cannot imagine. That's worship. God has always been a worshiping God, and we created in His image are worshipers as well. So have that mindset when you walk in here that we're joining the angels in heaven and doing something that we will do throughout all eternity. That's what worship is. Secondly, I want to spend most of our time talking about how it's to be done. This psalm tells us at least nine things that describe worship, that tell us how we should do what we're doing. First of all, and I'm just going to go through these fairly quickly, we should worship loudly. Worship loudly. Jonathan pointed that out to us earlier today. He said, when you read that passage of Scripture, don't mumble through it. Don't do it half-heartedly. Do it loudly. And that's what this psalm says. It says in the very first verse, shout. I wish I could shout. (laughs) Know that I want to shout. (laughs) But shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, I don't think that just means that we are to raise the decibel level as loudly as possible, although there's nothing wrong with that. I think what it really means is that there ought to be an earnestness and an intensity about worship. That's the kind of loudness we ought to aim for. 
It ought to be earnest and it ought to be intense. Worship ought to be something we want to do and want to do to the best of our ability. So shout. Jonathan Edwards talked about the fact that there is nothing so odious in things of religion than lukewarmness. And friends, we can be guilty of lukewarm worship on Sunday morning if we do it half-heartedly, if we do it sluggishly, if we don't do it loudly. So let's worship loudly. Secondly, worship ought to be done joyfully. It says in verse 1 and 2, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. This means that real worship consists of real feeling. That there ought to be a breath of emotion that we experience in this place every Sunday morning. Not only the gladness and happiness, but the sadness and lament as well. And we presby- we're Presbyterians. we got to work on this one. The emotion part. There ought to be real feeling in worship. Shout for joy to the Lord. Thirdly, worship ought to be done musically. Should be done musically. It says in verse 2, to come before God with joyful songs. You see, there can be no worship without singing. Now I know there are people in the body of Christ who feel like they can't sing and don't want to sing and don't like to sing. Some people in the body of Christ would just as soon sit in worship and listen to a sermon and take notes and let it be kind of a study time and go home. That's not worship. There can be no real worship without singing. Singing is all throughout the Bible. Singing is something we're going to be doing on the new earth one day. Yes, you will have a glorified voice as well as a glorified body. And if you read the Psalms at all, you notice that over and over again, it's commanded that we sing. Not simply listen to others sing, but to do the best we can ourselves. I, I really appreciate Martin Luther on this, in this regard. Martin Luther was one of our great reformers, lived back in the 1500s. He was a pastor and he highly valued the role of hymns and songs in worship. Many people don't realize that one of the things that Luther did was make music reform. He reformed music. He took hymns. He took popular songs and merged them together. He wanted to make the mass accessible to common people, to people who weren't highly educated. He wrote 35 hymns or so. He compiled nine hymnals. We sang one of his most famous hymns last Sunday, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Those of you who maybe don't appreciate singing very much, you might get a kick out of something Luther said in his typical blunt fashion. He said, The precious gift of music has been given to man alone that he might thereby remind himself that God created man for the express purpose of praising and extolling God. A person who does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. Wow. 
I'm just the messenger, okay? I didn't write that. But uh, so we should worship musically. And of course, you will uh, 100% agree with me that that's one of the many blessings that we have received from Jonathan and Amanda Noel. These are two immensely talented people. And uh, I have just um, grown so fond of their music and what we've been able to hear on Sunday morning. But it's not just the music of Jonathan and Amanda Noel. It's a part of the worship of God that we've been privileged to enjoy. Worship loudly, joyfully, musically in the fourth place. Let's worship intelligently too. Intelligently. Notice verse 3. The very first word is the word know. Know that the Lord is God. Part of worship involves the mind. What did Jesus say when asked what was the first and greatest commandment? He said it was to what? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all your heart, and all your mind. And so on Sunday morning, we don't switch our minds off. No, we kick into high gear mentally. We become intellects. We begin thinking like we've not thought all week. This morning when we were singing the songs, were you thinking about the word? They were so rich. Were you thinking about what God has meant to you this past week? So we ought to think and be intelligent people as we worship. One of the things that Jonathan has been doing, particularly in the last couple of years, is stressing the transitions and the progression that we ought to notice in our worship service. In other words, liturgy. And Jonathan has explained that as a progression from creation to fall to redemption to consummation. And if you think during the worship service, you'll pick up all four of those elements. Creation. That means we sit down, we begin our worship service with a realization of who God is. That he created us, he made us. He sustains us. He gives us our our breath. Every heartbeat comes from him. We begin with that God-centered perspective. Fall. When I see who God is, I also see who I am, that I'm deeply flawed and imperfect, that I've messed up this past week, and that I need his grace. Redemption. I have his grace through faith in Jesus the one who died on the cross and rose again for us and one day is coming back. Consummation, as we end the worship service, we look around us in the world around us who do not know Christ and we think of the fact that we're called not to stay in this room but to go out in mission into every part of this world with the good news until the day Jesus comes back and consummates the whole thing. And so that's intelligent worship. And we should be thinking and working and really exercising our minds during worship. Fifth, not only loudly, joyfully, musically, and intelligently, but we worship corporately, according to Psalm 100. We worship corporately. Notice verse 3 again. It is He who made us. It doesn't say, it is He who made me. Now that's true. But so much of modern American evangelicalism is consumed with me. And again, our 
chief musician consistently chooses music that evades the me-centered approach to Christianity and reminds us to open up the arms and welcome one another in so that we together worship God. I love how often Jonathan would change the words that were on the screen from me to us or from I to we. And he did that intentionally because worship is corporate. Worship is a foretaste of what you and I will experience one day when we are on the new earth. All of us together worshiping. Young and old alike together. Married, single, divorced, widowed together. Black and white and every shade in between together. That's God's vision for UPC. And one of the things we value and that honestly makes us a little bit unique in churches these days is the belief that we belong together in this room. That there's something about the joining together of all of these different ages and all of these different backgrounds that actually makes us better, not worse. And so I appreciate that about the Noels and want us to preserve and build on that because that's what we're going to experience when all of the nations, all people groups, all language groups, all tribes, every kindred under heaven will be together worshiping. Let's get practiced in this life. Number six, we worship confidently. Confidently. Because look at verse three. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people. Boy, there's a whole sermon there. We are his. See, that verse is what leads us to gospel-centered worship. We are his. He ransomed us from death. He bought us out of our sin and misery. He rescued us. From hell. And we are his. He found us when no one else cared. He sent Jesus to die for our sins. In fact, he chose us before we were even born. Because we are his. Even when we feel like nobody cares. Even when we feel forsaken of all of our friends and of life itself. We are his. And will never not be his. And so when we walk in this room on Sunday morning, we come confidently knowing I am his child. That means that no matter how much I've screwed up this week, no matter how bad the fight in the car was coming to church, I'm his. I don't need to run away from him. No matter how low my warmth of love toward God is, I can still come into this room and ask him to meet me Because I'm his. Worship confidently. Number seven, we should worship humbly. Worship humbly because, as it says at the end of verse three, we are the sheep of his pasture. And you know about sheep, right? You don't need me to remind you how helpless sheep are, how dumb sheep are, how prone to wander sheep are. Much we need his tender care. 
And so because we're sheep, that reminds us that we're here by grace and grace alone. So worship needs to be humble. It's all about him. There but for the grace of God go I. So Lord, thank you for being so gracious to me. And this is why we spend a little bit of our time in worship acknowledging our faults, acknowledging where we've messed up, being honest, being real about our sin so that God can love us and so that true repentance and faith can occur in the context of worship that is humble. Number eight, we're getting close to the end. Worship should be done thankfully. Thankfully. It says in verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. As you've been worshiping this morning, have you been giving thanks for things? That's what it means. As I was sitting in my chair, I was looking up at the band. And one of the things that I constantly thank God for with respect to the Noel's ministry is the age diversity of our worship ministry. It's good to see, without naming names, the old and the young up here together leading us in worship. I'm thankful for the new arrangements of many hymns that we've learned the past six years. I'm thankful for the people that Jonathan has been privileged to mentor. People like uh, Rob Rogers, who's going to be our interim worship director beginning next week, Danny Farragala, Jack Boré, Spencer Flanagan, Ryan Delk, and there are others as well. People up in the sound booth that have worked under Jonathan's direction. These are people who have experienced a touch of the master's hand and are ready to move in to the new need that we have for leadership. And then finally, not only all of those, but worship intentionally. Worship should be done intentionally. And I say that because as I look at Psalm 100, I notice all of the verbs that require a choice to be made. Shout, worship, come before him, know, enter, give thanks and praise. See, those are things that don't just happen. They happen because we choose to do them. And we must choose to do them. We must be intentional about worship, intentional about all of these other things that I've just talked about so that God would be praised and praised well every Sunday morning. So what we've seen this morning is what worship is, and we've seen a little bit of how to do it according to Psalm 100. The question is why? What worship? And really, that's not the right question to ask because we're always going to worship something. So the better question is, why worship God? Do you understand what I'm saying? We always worship something. We do, inevitably. I like how Mark Driscoll put it. He said, human beings are unceasing worshipers. We are not created to worship. Rather, we are created worshiping. Everyone worships all the time. Atheists, agnostics, Christians, and everyone in between are unceasing worshipers. Everyone, everywhere, all the time is always worshiping. While the object and method of worship vary, the act of worship does not. That's an interesting point, isn't it? You cannot help but worship something. 
So the question is, why worship God? And the answer is in verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. See, many of us have already found out that when we put our worship on things that are not God, we come back shortchanged. Because only the Lord is good. Only the Lord's love endures forever. I don't care if you want to try to worship success or work or beauty or sex or grades or friends or technology. All of those things are going to fall far short of satisfying the ache that's in your heart for glory, for love, for purpose, for significance, for forgiveness. Only God can do that. Only God is good. Only God's love endures forever. That's why we should worship God. So I ask you, how can we keep from singing? That was the title that I came up with today. How can we keep from singing? How can we keep, how can we not worship a God whose love endures forever? How can we keep from loudly and joyfully and musically and intelligently and corporately and confidently and humbly and thankfully and intentionally praising our good and loving God who, among other things, has shared with us for the past six years our chief musician, Jonathan Noel. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. And we thank you that you have been so good as to save us with a salvation that is sure and complete and brand new every day. Thank you, Lord, that no matter the setback, no matter the frowning providence, no matter the thunderstorm, your love endures forever. So... Keep us singing. Keep us worshiping. Keep us, O oh Lord, as one group here today until the day we see one another again and this earth resound with your never-ending praise. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.